0: So we're going to pivot uh, back to industry for this uh, conversation. We're going to bring on Martha Shaden, who's the president and CEO of Mioc Orthopedics. Martha and I go way back. We have a very rich history together. She is a a remarkable woman in medical device industry. Uh, She has really succeeded in the C-suite amongst multiple companies. And then in about 2014, she decided to leave Zimmer as a president of, of Trauma and do a startup company called Rotation Medical. And what tremendous amount of courage and innovation to leave this awesome job to a job really where there was nothing in the company to date. But it was potentially a disruptive technology. She took that company, which was really worth nothing, uh, and then sold it to Smith & Nephew about four years later for $200 million. It's a remarkable story. She then moved over to MIOC and is again doing disruptive ACL restoration surgery, She's a remarkable woman. Has a great story in industry. You're going to love this for all that are in medical device. Hashtag Files From
1: for Medical Media. This is the Author Show.
0: Hello, world. It's your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Scott Sigmund, here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic space. I am really excited today. We have one of my most favorite people in the world, certainly my most favorite woman in corporate America, Martha Shaden, who's the president and CEO of Mioc Orthopedics. Uh, Martha, it is a pleasure to have you on.
1: Thank you, Dr. Sigmund. And back at you. You're my one of my favorite surgeons, if not my favorite.
0: Oh, there's a lot of, we don't want to piss anybody off. You know a lot of people, Martha, but I do appreciate that very much. You know that. So, uh, So to our listeners, Martha and I go way back, but before we get to our relationship, you know, I think you have a, a, a really remarkable story uh, of your spot in, in corporate America within the C-suite and women uh, in general. And uh, as best as I can tell, I've looked through your bio. I think you came out of the womb as a vice president. I don't see you listed anywhere <laughs> less than vice president, but, but uh, let's go through it. So just tell everybody where you're from originally, and, and then we'll work through education, all that good stuff.
1: So um, originally, I'm from Massachusetts, and I currently reside in Massachusetts with my husband, Um, and um, so I um, left the state for a while um, working in corporate America and came back to Massachusetts in 1985 um, and have been here ever since.
0: So you you did your undergrad at UNH, and then we've got to give you know I'm not so sure if Sharif knows this, but we have a little Michigan State Spartan activity here. We do. Where you got your you got your master's? Is Sharif aware of your green heritage?
1: I I think so, but we we should probably just remind him.
0: Yeah, I, I think so because as you know, he bleeds green. Is is oh, yeah. equipment's all got Michigan State? He he loves the Spartan Sparties for sure. But and then you come back to Northeastern, you get your MBA. Uh, and then I've got you sort of in 95, you were sort of, it was pre-medical at that point, you're sort of in the wastewater world. But even at that point, you had already sort of climbed the, the corporate ladder and, and you were succeeding. So just tell us about that process.
1: Yeah. So um, it, it does sound a little odd that I went into wastewater, given that I have a um, a biology degree. But I got a call one day. I was working at Amicon, which is part of Millipore now. Got a call one day from a recruiter who said there's this little startup, and they're looking for somebody to come in and run global marketing. And um, I was naive and didn't know what I was doing. And I said, "Sure, I'm going over." And when I joined, um, it was a very, very small company. And over the course of my tenure there, which I think was four or five years. We made over 200 acquisitions and ultimately sold to a French company. Um, it was an incredible experience. And I think that it was easy for me to make that decision because I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, you can't take that out of a person, um, even though, you know, a lot of my career had been at big companies. I still approached business with more of an entrepreneurship than um you know something else so it it fit me really well um had a great time there and then you know i sort of from there uh gravitated to life sciences
0: so it's interesting because that's a real prelude to to later in life as we talk about where you and i intersect but uh you know i think it's fascinating that that there's a certain uh a group of people, entrepreneurs that are willing to to risk all and, and be able to go to a startup from a really comfortable job and position and then be able to really try and, and make true innovative change. So, so you move wow. over to life sciences. Uh, so you go to Bristol Myers, right, yeah. a, as well. And then you you, uh, you move on from vice president and you finally get the presidential position at Zimmer Trauma, where you spent right. a bunch of years as well. So you're really now getting into orthopedics. You got the flow. You're seeding to find what you like to do at this point. So tell us about the experience. I mean, being a woman as president at Zimmer and Trauma,
1: at what, what year was that? Um, that was in 2011, I believe.
0: What was your experience there? Was that well-received? Was it just is what it is? It doesn't really matter. I'm Martha. Here I am.
1: You know, um, I think all of that and more. Um, so um, I don't think of myself as a woman one in business. I think of myself as just another person who needs to prove themselves like, you know, every other person, whether you're male or female, needs to prove themselves. Um, and so I never sweated the small stuff. Sure. There were things that happened, right. That, you know, if, if I had a, a thinner skin, maybe it would have bothered me, but, um, I'm a little, um, tone deaf to those kind of things have always been that way. And I think it served me well because I didn't let it slow me down. The other thing is, um, you know, I never thought, that my opportunities were different than a man. I never apologized for being a woman and I advocated very strongly and I've taught my daughter to be a strong advocate for herself. And I think that um, that's what women need to do. We need to advocate like men advocate. We need to ask for it and uh, don't make apologies. Um, You know, there is, a real—if um, you look at the the um, the literature, if there is a job posted, men will apply for that job, um, whether they have all of the requirements or not. They say, "I have 80 percent of it. I'm good to go. I can do that job." Women, on the other hand, um, feel that they can't really apply for a job unless they've ticked off every single box, and Um, we've got to get over that. You know, we've got to work to approach these things like, yeah, I don't have everything, but I'm smart and I can learn it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is just amazing advice and counsel from someone who has really achieved greatness uh, and risen to the top. So all of our listeners, you know, this is as good as it gets. Martha's up uh, giving us great information here. So that's fantastic. So again, you know, here you are, you're at Zimmer. You're there for a couple of years. You're doing great. You're at one of the largest medical device companies, you know, in the world, especially within the orthopedics. And then I guess you get a phone call about this this cow thing, the bovine, you know, implant. And I'm so I'm really fascinated. Walk us through how you made the decision to leave what is really arguably a tremendous job at the height of your career to yeah. go on and take on a risk of what I want to be very clear about to our listeners. Was a company that had absolutely, really (laughs) no foundation and had a product that was completely unproven in a very, you know, very unique space. So, talk us through it because I really find that fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I love Zimmer. It's a great company. um, And there was um, a lot to do. And uh, we were making um, some really good progress. I got a call one day, as you said. Um, from a very convincing VC who was the chair of the board over at Rotation Medical and we got talking and one thing led to another and um, he, he, he knew which buttons to push in me. I would say he was a master at um, negotiation and convincing me that this was the right next step Um, The technology I felt was um, so disruptive and breakthrough. I felt like I needed to be a part of it. Um, And so um, I I jumped, I made the jump. It was risky. I know that. Um, Siggy, I remember the first day I presented to you and I'm sitting across the desk from you. We didn't know each other. And I'm explaining this technology, and you laughed at me, and you said, <laughs> "You, I mean, you didn't believe a word I told you, not a word."
0: Well, and, I wasn't the I wasn't the only one, Martha. You probably got laughed at a lot back in those days. No,
1: <laughs> no, but that that was just the start of the challenge, you know. And
0: well, you know, it's interesting. Well, you had success. You could draw from your earlier success of your, you know, earlier place where you went to a startup and you you added these 200 companies and obviously you drove this company to higher levels so so that was familiar to you but uh no I mean I I can't I'll never forget that conversation and then you know and then Hook calls me afterwards David Hook and he's like Siggy you know come on man you got to do this we've known you a long time I said look Dave I don't know anything about this product but I do know you uh you've made the transition you believe in it and I told him, I said, look, I'm going to give you the worst possible patient I could possibly find, right? Yeah. yeah. He was workers' comp. He was a smoker. He had failed two previous rotator cuff surgeries, and he hadn't been to work in two years. And uh, I basically said, this is the guy. And he said, no problem. And I'll never forget, you know, Tom, Tom Westling comes out and and Tom says, you know, Scott." we really need you to go through like a, a sawbones of how you're going to do this. And I'm like, ah, eh, you know, it doesn't look that hard. I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. So we sat through the sawbones. we do the case and, you know, of course we joke about it now, but at the time we did it in about 15 minutes and Tom looked over afterwards and he's like, wow, he's like, that really went well. And I said, yeah, but that's the easy part. Let's see the hard part. Right. And, uh, yeah sure enough, the the patient comes back three months later. He has full range of motion to his shoulder and he asked me to go back to work. And I looked over and I called you and I called Tom and I said, look, uh, you know, I've never seen this before. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've never seen this before.
1: Yeah. And Siggy, um, I remember the more you did, um, the and you you did the you used that technology on a very, very wide spectrum of patients and it was always impressive to me that um you were able to figure out where the right patient was for the technology. but what was also impressive was the time it took you to do the procedure. Um, can you tell the audience how long it takes you now?
0: It's about three minutes, but it was funny. I mean, when you know, when Sean and myself and Sharif and Hook would be there at all the cases, and he would take out his, you know, his stopwatch so that we could see, you know, how long it would take. But I don't want to brag to the audience to say that we're rushing through surgery. I mean, it, the bottom line is, it's a very efficient technique, and when you get used to it, it's actually, you know, incredibly easy. It does not take up a lot of extra time in the operating room, but. You know, the, you know, and again, Martha, I remember there's a couple of things that were really quite profound about the early days of the rotation bovine implant. And, and that was, you know, the, the recovery that we were seeing for the patients, right? That was, and and we all sat in a room, you brought us together at the academy. You had all of the KOLs that were doing early stuff and we were all just looking around. We didn't want to talk about it out loud, but everybody was like, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? You know? I'm like, yeah, they're out of a sling in like three or four days. They're not taking medication, We're, and we like we developed a protocol, right? We we built a protocol for the post op rehab, and wow. and then the other thing is, I mean, I want you to tell the audience too, because if you think about like a startup company, right? You know, compared to a to Zimmer, if Zimmer wants to launch a new product, no big deal. They got a ton of cash in the bank. They do an FDA clinical trial. They open it up over there. They open it up over Hi. there. But but you just didn't have a lot of money in the bank. So how did how did you decide to be able to build a study to be able to show? Because I think that's a great story too.
1: Yeah. So you're right. We you know as a startup we have a limited pot of money to use, and we have to be very careful and capital efficient, and um, and um, we wanted to make it so that we were getting real world evidence Um, because I think that um, level one. Clinical studies are really, really important. They're critical. And I also think using it um, in, you know, practice is also very important because you learn other things. And we were a company that wanted to understand and learn as much as we could. So we started a registry and we recruited um, a a number of surgeons who also had interest and um, it was a patient-reported outcome registry where the patients went online and entered their, um, their outcomes at um, pre-prescribed uh, times. And we were able to collect an enormous amount of real-world evidence. And um, it just on, on the type of patient they were, whether they were smokers, whether they, um, you know, had a high BMI, whether um, male or female, what type of work they did. We collected opioid data, time back to work, time back to driving. Um, You know, it was just an enormous amount of work. And out of that um, came some really profound learnings about the technology uh, that, um, you know, you and others were uh, big contributors too.
0: Yeah, and and I will never forget sort of the brilliant maneuver where we're like all right, what are the controls, right? And how are you going to judge this against what was done traditionally, right? And right. you and the team, you Kino came up with the idea of the SOS data, which was initially yep. part of Arthrex but then became public public as part of ANA, and Arthroscopy, you know, Association of yeah. America. And you could you could look at the cohorts for the same thing for partial rotator cuff tears and full thickness rotator cuff tears, where you had reported outcomes from these other doctors from all over the country, and then you could line them up against each other and really see how they do. And you know I'll never forget it when Louis McIntyre you know presented the first time at Anna the data. You know it was like rotten tomatoes, like the dude needed a screen up there from all the things that were throwing at him, right? Right. (laughs) And then literally it was a year later, I think. And he got up on the podium and then he presented the two-year data and it was ho-hum. Everybody was like, oh, okay, that looks good. Great stuff. You know, yeah. it went from this, what is this crazy thing to becoming yeah. something that became accepted? And then obviously, you know, uh, over over a number of years, more and more doctors became a part of it. And then yeah. the, the the success story for any any startup CEO, right, is to be able to take it across the finish line, and either go public or get bought out to, a, to with a larger company that gives you legitimacy. And then in yeah. 2018,
1: I believe, Smith & Nephew? Uh, December of 17.
0: December of 17, Smith & Nephew, one of the largest medical device companies in the world, purchases Rotation Medical, and you are legitimate. How cool was that?
1: Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah, we liked that.
0: <laughs> I guess. well, that's like an understandable on, Martha. I mean, you're working hard, this is your baby, you know all of the things that you need to do, and then finally you know you get there and then i'm you you stay on for a while too, obviously, they want you to be a part of the transition as as it moves on. but what was so i mean you know I feel again like i'm i uh, um, I'm on guy Raz from how I built this but but what was your market cap you know for rotation medical when you took over as a fledgling startup And then what was the market cap that it went for when it was purchased by Smith & Nephew?
1: So, um, you know, I I can't remember precisely the number, but let's say it was low um, single digits. Right. It was it was pretty I mean, it just didn't have one. Right. Um, And when we sold, we sold for two hundred and ten million dollars.
0: Pretty remarkable story. And it has been doing remarkably well for Smith & Nephew. They've, I think, recouped all of their investment by now, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, let's just say Smith & Nephew, I think, is pretty happy.
0: <laughs> okay, that's a, a great corporate way to uh, politically correct, say what we're trying to say here. So that's awesome. So So again, you know, here you are, you hit one out of the park, which is, you know, a great accomplishment for yourself. Uh, you know, a lot of people would just say, "You know, I'm going to take some time off, right?" I mean, this was a win. It was a, uh, you know, I'm really, you know, proud of what I've accomplished. Let's take some time off and see what's going on. But not Martha. Martha <laughs> is the queen of bovine, and she then gets approached by Martha Murray and crew. And tell us about your next venture, where you are now, and what's happening.
1: Yeah. So um, I was approached by one of the board members of Miak Orthopedics. And um MIOC Orthopedics um has uh the bear implant. And if your uh listeners don't know what that is, this is an implant again that comes from the cow that is used to enable the body to heal a torn ACL. And Siggy, the story on this is very um similar but easier to tell. Um, do you remember when we were talking about um, the cow patch and we would say, okay, you put it on the top of the super spin, spinatus and it heals on the bottom? Do you remember that? And, the, fact and that, that you're,
0: even, the fact that you're saying cow patch out loud to me is unbelievable. <laughs> <don't know> <laughs> right, right. tell that story. I mean, so forever, you know, Martha would be up on the podium and and she would lead off and she'd be like, yes, this is the, the the rotation medical bovine bioinductive implant. And then I'd get up there and I'd start talking. And if you try to talk to a patient, you say, oh, we're going to put in this bio, you know, bovine biomedic, what, what is this thing? And I'm like, it just came to me one day. I'm like, oh, it's, it's the cow patch. <laughs> and you would yell at me every time I got up there on the podium. You're like, Scott, Siggy, it is not a patch. It is not a cow patch. It's an implant. But anyhow, it's a funny story.
1: Yeah. Well, you you were very effective in um, uh, destroying all of the great marketing we were doing to try <laughs> to brand it.
0: Yeah. Oh well, you're you're welcome. For for two hundred million dollars, I guess we did okay. Yeah, I guess. By <laughs> the way. I had I had no financial interest in rotation medical or Smith and nephew nor have I ever I had oh, no shares so there was no financial benefit for me for the sale of of this product for sure I want to make that I point will to that.
1: attest to that that is absolutely true Thank so um, getting back to the BR implant this is a technology that was developed by dr. Murray Martha Murray in an academic lab at Boston Children's Hospital um, and it's the first implant the first technology to clinically demonstrate that it enables the patient's native ACL to heal and be restored to its original orientation. Um, we were the first, we received um, a de novo um, in December of last year. And um, the FDA um, was um, very interested and we um, they they actually press released this um, the day that they get, the morning that they, uh, 90 minutes after we got our approval, they sent out a press release about the beer implant. And in their um, end of the year um, sort of state of affairs, they cited the beer implant as one of um, the most novel devices approved in 2020. Um, This um, implant has been clinically tested extensively and its use is supported by level one evidence. And we all know that uh, for small companies, that's a really hard thing to do. It takes a long time to run these trials um, with the kind of follow up that we want to do. And um, it's very expensive. Uh, But there have been a number of trials uh, conducted on there. And we're very excited about that. Um, and getting ready to launch commercially um, very, very soon.
0: Yeah, no, congratulations. And I don't think the FDA gets very excited about any of their clearance products very often, right? It's definitely the exact opposite. So that was a remarkable accomplishment for sure.
1: Yeah, Siggy, they got their press release out before we could get ours out.
0: That's fantastic. So
1: ask me how, you know,
0: How that landed on me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I want to get back to the listeners here because I I always like, you know, because you know my mother's listening, Martha, so we have to make sure that everybody understands. The bear implant is the bridge-enhanced ACL restoration. As a general rule, if you tear your ACL, what we've been doing across the world is basically reconstructing it. So the ACL has never really been able to heal, although there is some evidence. We'll talk about that in a second. But as a general rule, it's always been you have to give a new one. You can't repair. It doesn't repair very well because there's no good blood supply. So you take a tendon from someplace else in the body, from the kneecap, from the hamstring tendon, and you reconstruct an ACL, and patients can do well. They can get back to sport. They can do their thing. But it certainly hasn't been nailed or cured. And there's lots of issues with regards to ACL reconstruction that have not really been figured out. With the bear implant in particular, for whatever reason, our body likes bovine tissue. And it's not just within orthopedics. It has cardiac implications and soft tissue elsewhere. And so it's really you know, sort of remarkable that this similar process from what you saw with rotation could then be utilized within the bear implant. And rather than reconstructing, what you're doing is you're taking this implant, putting a little bit of blood on it from the patient at the time of the surgery. And then you're attaching it between the two stumps to allow the body to heal itself and create its own ACL to heal, which really has not really been done. There's a lot of good, you know, science that's been coming out with Greg D. who's one of our uh, one of our uh, big fans here on the Ortho Show. I call him the ACL Repairer. So there's been a lot of a lot more discussion about the repair of the ACL, and I think in particular the bare implant is going to have a really remarkable uh, place at the table for that ACL repair discussion. What do you think?
1: Yeah. So um, a couple of points I want to make so that um, the audience um, knows how to think about this. First thing is that um, the, the bear, which is the bridge enhanced ACL restoration um, is um, an implant that reabsorbs within about eight weeks. So it goes away and it's replaced by the the new growth of tissue. How this works is that interoperatively, small amount of the patient's blood is injected into the implant, and that implant is inserted between the two uh, torn ends of the ACL, and that blood is protected from the synovial fluid, and that's the reason why the ACL can't heal on its own because a blood clot can't form. You need a blood clot to kick off the healing cascade. So what we've done is almost mimicked the environment that you see in the MCL, which can heal on its own, um, with this implant. The blood clot forms and that's why we say that it's the body that heals itself because it's that blood clot and then tracks. The fibroblasts, the blood vessels, uh, which signals for the growth factors, and it's it's wound healing one hundred and one. Um, what also is important for the audience to know is that this has been studied in patients with proximal avulsions, um, as well as um, proximal uh, uh, um, mid substance. In effect, most of our patients in our clinical studies were mid-substance, um, had mid-substance tears. So um, where other technologies may be more focused on proximal avulsions, beer is, can be used for the majority of tear indications. And um, so I just wanted um, the audience to know that um, you know, we, it sometimes gets a little confused with primary repair, Whereas really it um, it can address most the majority of ind- tear indications.
0: No, I think that's a great point, and i and I'll I'll reiterate that too. Uh, the bottom line is is if you're going to try and do an ACL repair with standard techniques that we have available now, they use sort of the rotator cuff instruments, but the ACL has to be pulled off of the bone right to be able to be reattached, and that's right. what Dr. Felice is doing uh, and other doctors around the world. The vast majority of ACL tears that happen, basically, it's like a hand grenade goes off inside the ACL, blows up. It's mid substance, and it's like a horse's tail in the middle. There's no way you can tie everything together, right. and and that's the indication, in particular, where the bare implant uh, seems to to be able to to really do well, yeah. and that's where the majority of ACL tears are. So I think that's that's a great point. So. So you've got your FDA clearance, and now, again, for our listeners so everybody understands, what does commercialization mean so that everybody understands? How they are we going to see this coming forward? Where are we going to find
1: it? Yeah. So um, we're in the process of hiring our commercial field sales organization, and um, we will be launching uh, the bear implant in select areas initially. Um, and then more broadly as we go into 2022. So um, there will be some territories, um, some regions of the country that will see beer sooner than later, but by the end of next year, I think that um, it would be more broadly available.
0: So the bottom line is because at this point it's got its FDA you know, approval at this point. Uh, doctors can now actually do this implant with standard technique without yep. having to enroll patients into a clinical trial, that's right. although clinical trials will still be continuing right. to further prove the science.
1: That's that's exactly right.
0: Thank you. Yeah, yeah you're very welcome. That's fantastic. So, you know, Martha, this is, uh, we love this stuff. You know, we, we have incredible people from all over the world, orthopedic surgeons, industry that come and tell their stories, you know, I want you to give, we're, we're nearing the end, but I want you to provide a, a piece of advice. Now, I know that you you, you see yourself as, as a person, not necessarily a man or woman in industry, but for the young women out there that are really considering you know, a corporate job, corporate uh, process and moving into the C-suite, becoming a CEO, president, what type of advice would you give them uh, to be able to help achieve that goal?
1: Yeah, I think um, following your true north and really... Um, focusing in on um, what what your goals are, what you really want to do, um, and then advocating for yourself. Really um, believe in yourself. Don't take no. Figure out how to get there. Learn, listen, um, and uh, develop yourself because you're in charge of your own career. Nobody else. Uh, don't, Abdicate it to anyone else, take charge, and um, make it happen. It's not easy sometimes, um, but uh, at the end of it, if that's what you really want, um, then you'll make it happen. And only you can make that happen.
0: Yeah, fantastic advice, Martha. You know, I I so appreciate you. We've had such a rich history together. Uh, I'm so happy that we could share your story. I know that this is going to be a beloved episode. People, uh, you have such a a, a large a, a fan base across industry and doctors. And so I thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today.
1: Thank you, Dr. Sigmund. It's been a pleasure.
0: This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of The Ortho Show. Till next time.